0: Well, good morning, church. I love this church. This is such a beautiful family, and it has been sweet to worship with you guys already this morning. Um, I have a question that I've been thinking about uh, that I wanna invite you to think about with me this morning. It's this. Is there anything more precious than a baby asleep? In September, me and my wife, Caroline, uh, we had our first baby, our little baby daughter named Emmeline, who is just a delight. And so we have joined the ranks of of parents and it has been an adventure. Um, Especially now that she's kind of busier and louder and now more mobile than ever. She just learned to crawl like four days ago. So um, so my wife is very busy. Um, But just a few weeks ago, uh, Caroline sent me a text with a photo of her on it that I wanted to share with you guys so uh, here it is. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> there, there is nothing more precious than a baby asleep and notice I say the word asleep <laughs> because it has taken a lot of work all day long to get her to rest. My wife has wiped her hands and pulled her back from outlets and moved her around and fed her and kind of placed her every single place she needed to be throughout the day on her play mat and in her high chair and then finally at the end of the day in her crib to sleep. Takes a lot of work to get her to rest. And guess what? Same thing's true of you. Takes a lot of work from your God to get you to rest. Today we're gonna continue in maybe the most beloved Psalm of the Bible, Psalm 23. If you're not already there, feel free to open your Bible or your device. We're gonna be going through verses two and three today. And this is a precious psalm to many of us, right? Maybe it was because we had it on a wall in our home. Maybe it was because we were prayed over with this in a a family at a dinner table on our bedside. Maybe it's because it was recited at some of the precious funerals of our family or friends. This is precious to us. But as we zone in on just two verses, verse two and three today, I want us to be able to say one thing together as we walk out today, and it's this. I know how my shepherd provides. Can you guys say that with me? I know how my shepherd provides. Last week, Evan did a great job of displaying who our shepherd is in verse one. Today, we're going to uncover what our shepherd does in verses two and three. And there's three experiences that your shepherd provides for you. The first experience is rest. Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Who's the he? It's the Lord from verse 1, right? Now I don't know if you noticed this, but at the very beginning of verse 1 it says, "The Lord." And at the very last verse in verse 6 it says, "The Lord." This whole psalm is about the Lord, it's about Him, it's about His work. But notice another word here in verse two, a word that I think maybe it gives a a lot of credit for why this has become such a beloved psalm, it's the word, me. This psalm doesn't use the language of we and us, it uses the personal language of me and I. This is personal praise. To a shepherd. In fact, um, in the very middle of the verse, in verse 4, that's probably the crux of this whole passage. Verse 4, when it says, You are with me. Also, John Calvin points out what's not in this psalm. He says, This psalm is neither intermingled with prayers, nor does it complain of miseries for the purpose of obtaining relief, but it, it contains simply, a thanksgiving. This whole psalm is just giving thanks to our shepherd. And maybe that's just enough of an application already for you today. Maybe you just say, that's all I need to do. It's been too long since I've just given thanks to my shepherd, and that's what I'm gonna go do this week. And you can just stop right there, but stay with me, if you will. Now, what about verse two? Let's get to the point where this shepherd provides rest. Well, there's something we need to know about shepherds. It takes a lot of work to make a sheep rest. Now, the original hearers would have known that. They would have known a lot about the life of a shepherd, but we may not. So that's why we need to just spend a little bit of time seeing what a shepherd does to get his sheep to lie down in green pastures and beside still waters. Because that's what your Lord, your shepherd, also provides to make you rest. There is a world of work in these words of rest. So much so that W. Philip Keller, himself who was a shepherd in the 1960s, wrote a little book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And in it, he exclaims, sheep require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar. So what does a shepherd provide his sheep in order to get them to lie down in green pastures and by still waters? Well, four things. And conveniently, they spell out the word rest, R-E-S-T, rest from rivalry, rest from enemies, rest from the shepherd, rest from tension, rest from rivalry. Now, I wasn't aware of this until I studied a little bit more about sheep. Did you know that sheep compete? Yeah, so I don't know, maybe if you're one of the kids in here and you're writing notes or drawing today, maybe you want to draw a picture of a sheep competing in basketball or in the Olympics or something. Maybe the best, closest analogy is wrestling, because that's what sheep do. There actually will be one old ewe in the midst of the flock who will want to protect her grazing ground, and so she will butt out other sheep, butting them with her head or thrusting them out with her body in order to get them away from her patch. And it's the shepherd that has to pull her away to give rest from this rivalry to the rest of the sheep. That's kind of how it works with sheep, but unfortunately, we have rivalry too. And for us, we might, we might be headbutting people, but, but we assert ourselves, we establish our status as more spiritual, as more wealthy, as more popular or as even more unusual, or more hurt, or more misunderstood. And we establish this pattern of sticking up for myself or standing out as myself, and we ignore and denigrate the other sheep around us, even if it's just in a common conversation with a group of people. Maybe you're the person who's trying to butt people out of getting attention even if it's just because of your own insecurity. Or maybe you're the person who keeps getting pushed out, whether of getting credit or getting the love that you really desire. We don't need to maintain rivalry and we don't need to fear rivalry because we've been provided rest. How? Well, the Lord gives us the gift of this little thing called love. In fact, in Galatians chapter five, Paul lists rivalry as one of the works of the flesh that God's Holy Spirit by his fruit can overcome. His fruit is love and peace. And then even at the end of Galatians five, Paul ends by saying, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So don't keep pushing others aside. Or fearing those who are getting more credit. Our shepherd's spirit provides love. It provides rest from rivalry, rest from enemies. Sheep have real enemies, big and small, and so do we. Some of their big enemies are coyotes and cougars, ours are the devil's forces. We just talked about that, I heard Pastor Eric talking about that earlier today. Thankfully, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says something powerful. It says, God disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. God triumphed over our enemies at the cross. The enemy has lost. Can I have an amen? Because maybe some of us needed just to be reminded of that today. They won't win. Our shepherd has won. But sheep also have small enemies. Um, there's a particular kind of fly that's really dangerous to sheep. This fly that tries to lay its eggs in a sheep's nose. It's disgusting, right? right? Yeah, and it really is, right? So much so that the sheep wants to bang its head against rocks and cause the sheep blindness or even death. Right, It's a really awful picture of what happens to sheep, but thankfully, the shepherd can mix up an oil that'll cover the sheep's face and prevent those pests from doing anything but buzzing nearby. Brothers and sisters, Philippians chapter three, verses six and seven says this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And get this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God has an oil of peace for those who give their small irritations to him before they become big problems. Because I'm sure that we have spouses who are irritated with their spouse this morning, parents who are irritated with their children this morning, children that are irritated with their parents this morning or with one another, right? Men who are irritated with the news, women who are irritated with their friends. These irritations can grow into bitterness, into cutting off relationships, into hard-heartedness that will destroy you. If You don't pray for God's supernatural peace to guard your heart and your mind in Christ. The peace is there, and oh, it works. We have a conquering and a peace-giving shepherd who provides rest from enemies, big and small. Rest from the shepherd. Now, I just wanna point out that the most important person in the life of a sheep is its shepherd, Right? And we don't see any fear of the shepherd here. It's quite the opposite. But there are fearful shepherds. In fact, uh, that same shepherd, W. Philip Keller, shares this story. He says, The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I had ever met. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. They had only polluted muddy water to drink. They were thin, weak, and diseased. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. Then, an awful sight? Keller adds, this was a precise picture of those wretched old taskmasters, sin and Satan on their derelict ranch, scoffing at the plight of those within their power. Friends, we don't have to fear our shepherd. He is good. But for those who aren't yet Christians, I urge you, you may not fully realize it, but you're gnawing away at bare brown fields. They're gonna leave you hungry. They're gonna leave you starving. There's no rest. There's no nourishment. There's no hope for your soul apart from a good God. That's the state I was in. That's the state any of us who are Christians was in until our shepherd found us and adopted us into his own flock when we put our trust in his son. And Christian, if you have friends who don't know God through trusting in Jesus, they're still under those evil shepherds. Tell them about your shepherd. We have rest From the other shepherds rest from tension sheep are panicky they're constantly living in tension they're constantly living in uncertainty They, they have they have the slightest suspicion of a danger of a coyote of a cougar of a rabbit even they get up ready to run and get out of there they're constantly feeling on alert and it takes a lot of work to get them to calm their tension and lie down. But nothing quiets that sheep more than her strong and ready shepherd who is near her, watching over her day and night. And brothers and sisters, there is nothing like the presence of our God to dispel our tension. Ugh, have you felt it? We live really uncertain lives. <laughs> Anyone who lived in this last year and a half can tell you that, right? Big things breaking apart, causing us this tension, but even just personally for you, right? What, what are people gonna think of me? What's gonna happen to my health or my loved one's health? How am I gonna deal with this bill or this horrible relationship or this tension-filled job? Can we have rest in the midst of all this tension? These are God's promises. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28 verse 20. "I will never leave you nor forsake you." Hebrews 13:5. "But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge." Psalm 73:28. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, verse 31. Maybe this week when you're particularly feeling tension, you need to grab a promise from God like one of these and pray it back to him in confidence. We have an ever-present shepherd who provides us rest from tension. So friends, if no one's told you yet this week, you can rest. This is the paradox of the sheep, (laughs) the paradox of the Christian life. In a world filled with endless reasons not to rest, we do rest. Why? Because we have a shepherd who provides everything for us. So what's left to do? Rest. Let me use a different word for it real quick. Contentment. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul lists all of these extreme circumstances that he himself experienced, abundance and need, fullness and hunger, and ends by saying he's learned the secret to being content in any circumstance. What is it? I can do all things through him who strengthens me or if I can just be so bold as to slightly reword it, based on the words of Psalm 23, I can rest anywhere because of my shepherd who provides for me. Contentment can mark your life in every season because your shepherd provides something for your soul. Rest. The second experience your shepherd provides for you is not just rest, but restoration. Verse three says, he restores my soul. Restores just means a returning to life, a returning to vitality. If this psalm is walking us through the day and the life of a sheep, then this is the perfect next observation. After the morning's grazing, Sheep typically lie down for a few hours in the midday in a shady place so they can ruminate and get restored, nourished from what they've eaten and where they've rested. The Old Testament has a bunch of examples of things that can be restored to life, restored to vitality, whether it's restoring hope to a family in Ruth chapter four, verse 15, restoring our strength with food, Lamentations one, verse 19. But there's one example that I like best It's Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, that says how God restores our souls through his word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Oh, how reviving it is to digest God's word, to ruminate on his promises, to relax in the cool shade of his character revealed to you, to let his comforts nourish you to let his acts energize your soul. There's nothing like God's word to restore your soul. Do you have it in you? Are you reading it? Are you memorizing it? Have you feasted on it in the morning so that it can restore you at midday? Our shepherd feeds us with his word to restore our soul's maybe you're worshiping online today uh, because you're on vacation. I'm so glad that you are. Many of us have been able to do that this year, and this summer, get away for a few days. And, and brother, sister, friend, just like you're trying to Unbend your back from weeks and months of work. You're trying to unfry your eyes from looking at screens for the last few weeks. You're trying to unbusy yourself from the million things there are to do and to fix and to clean in order to bring new life to yourself, new life to your body, new life to your emotions, new life to your family. Just like we try to restore these things on a vacation, God wants to restore your soul. Constantly. I wanna quote Charles Spurgeon on this verse because I don't think I can improve on his language. He says, when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it's sinful, he sanctifies it. When it's weak, he strengthens it. He does it. Are any of us low in grace? Do we feel that our spirituality is at its lowest ebb? He who turns the ebb into the flood can soon restore our soul. Pray to him then for the blessing. Restore thou me, thou shepherd of my soul. It's like the dry sand that I was looking at just last week when we were on a vacation in South Carolina. It was just dry bumps of sand and small cracked shells until the push of the ocean's tide washed over it and soaked it wet, filled with water. Brother, sister, if your soul is at a low ebb, pray to your God who can restore and refresh your soul. You have a shepherd who provides restoration. The third experience your shepherd provides for you is right paths. Verse three goes on to say, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I learned something else about sheep recently. So let's listen again to our friend, that shepherd, W. Philip Keller. Sheep are notorious creatures of habit. If left to themselves, they'll follow the same trails until they become ruts. Maybe the world's finest sheep ranges have been ruined beyond repair by overgrazing. So, what prevents sheep from overgrazing? Well, Keller tells us how he did it. On the average, this meant my sheep were put into new ground almost every week. The greatest safeguard which a shepherd has in handling his flock is to keep them on the move. They dare not be left on the same ground too long. In a word, there must be a predetermined plan of action. Now, I always thought that sheep were wanderers, going off in strange directions, lost without the pursuit of a shepherd, and this can be true, but this fact, this picture of a sheep that returns again and again to the same paths until they become ruts hit me even harder because that's what I do. I don't usually foray into unusual spiritual territory, trying out brand new sins that I've not had much experience in. No, I return again and again to my same old familiar sins that give me a promise I like and always disappoint me. What about you? Isaiah 53 verse six says it, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Which kind of sheep are you? Are you wandering way out into different places and decisions than you've made before? Maybe you're new to Indianapolis and you want to be independent from your previous life and so you're trying out new sins in a new place. Or are you returning again and again to your old familiar sin patterns, overgrazing? You keep thinking that gossip or or anger is gonna feel good with power over another person. That lust will satisfy, which it won't. Or that greed isn't actually greed, it's just creating a good life for yourself or your family or your savings account and you're being let down again. It's becoming a rut. Today, refuse ruts And if you need help, get it. Become a member here at College Park. We'd love to have you any month at an event we call Discover. That is your first step. We want to bring you into the life of this church so we can walk together. Try out a small group where you really can find hope together for all of these struggles with other people on a couch in a living room every couple of weeks. Join a restoration group that's coming in the fall where you can experience group counseling for any need that you're struggling with. You don't have to refuse ruts on your own. They're brothers and sisters to help. God's your guiding shepherd, and he has you here for a reason. He wants to lead you in right paths. I have a Psalm um, that's taped to a bookcase that I see almost every day, it's Psalm 25. And I try and recite it as a prayer for my own heart, which needs it, that God will lead me, especially for me, just in my role, and my job, Maybe some of you guys need to tape a psalm in front of you like this. Verses four and five, just say, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Can we pray really for the Lord to lead us in a right path that that he's gonna have everything we need? even when life does not feel that way around us. That's why I love Psalm 23, because today we're talking about green pastures. Next week, Pastor Nate's gonna lead us talking about the valley of the shadow of death. Friend, God's word is for the realist. Our paths don't always feel like green pasture, but a shepherd has to spend an entire day with a sheep. And our God is spending an entire lifetime with us. Now, I got brothers and sisters in here and at this church who could preach this better than I could because they have lived it. They have looked back even recently and they have seen both hard times and high times were paths of righteousness that the Lord was leading them on because he was trying to shepherd them better than they wanted for themselves through paths of infertility, through paths of moving to a different unwanted place, to paths of a degenerative disease, through paths of losing a family member, or just having really hard days. Why can we have such trust that he's gonna lead us in right paths? Well, because of the next four words in this verse, for his name's sake. Yes, the shepherd delights in happy, well-fed sheep, but he also delights in them because this confirms who he is, his name, his character, his reputation. God told his name to Moses on the mountain in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So when this God displays his faithful leading of a sheep, he's bringing glory to his name. Oh, I'm so grateful that our good and God's glory intertwine. He's living his name. Online, there's a really wonderful sermon on Psalm 23 um, from John Piper's very first year as a pastor. Um, So you know who he is. Um, And in it, he describes how for, for a long time, he never even noticed this phrase in Psalm 23. But when he did, it changed so much. He says this, God does everything for his own glory. But for 22 years I'd been so deaf to this loud theme running through the Bible that I'd never even heard the last phrase of verse three in Psalm 23. But then I discovered Jonathan Edwards and and God opened my eyes and ears to the most glorious theme of scripture that God is absolutely sovereign in all things and is at work to display his glory for the enjoyment of his people. So it's no longer surprising to me that right here is the signature of a sovereign God for his name's sake. These four little words at the end of our verses can make a big difference to us. How? Well, let me just list a couple ways. One, confidence. You can live with confidence that God's gonna honor himself in your life. If God's looking out for his own name, you better believe he's gonna do what's best. You can have confidence of that. Two, that your prayers, it changes the power of our prayers for our own sanctification. Because now you're not just praying, God, help me because I think I can do better. You're praying, make me holy, O oh God, for your namesake, Lead me not into temptation for your name's sake. Oh God, help me because I know this is your will for your name and you can do this in me. God wants to change us for his name's sake. So do you want his name's sake? If you're being stubborn today, if you're hurting today, if you're rejoicing today, Listen to these words from Psalm or sorry from Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus Your shepherd will lead you in right paths Brothers and sisters there may be just one thing more precious than a baby asleep a resting Christian. It takes a lot of work to get you to rest and your God, your shepherd has done it so that you can say, I know how my shepherd provides. He provides me rest. He provides me restoration. He provides me right paths. And I trust that that is enough to thank him all week long as he does provide for us. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you are our shepherd, and we have no right to be a part of your sheep. All of us have strayed and turned our own way, but you've led Jesus to be laid upon with the iniquity of us all. He became a sheep to be sacrificed for us, and that's what we remember now. So God, we're about to eat a meal of what's better than green pastures and drink something that's better than still waters, your son's body and blood given for us. Bless us as we do this, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.